Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 90 of Sorta Awesome, and welcome back, everyone. Probably you noticed that we did not have a new episode of Sorta Awesome last week, and that's because my family and I have all gotten hit really hard by both strep and the flu this year, which has been very not awesome, I can tell you. So not cool. So not. But we're mostly recovered, and I am so ready to get back on track. So today I have my dear friend and lovely co-host Kelly Gordon with me, and we're going to explore the idea of how to be happy. I know sometimes we tend to look at other people and think, oh, well, she, that girl, well, she was just born happy. I'll never be like that. Or we might think, yeah, if I had her life, I'd be pretty happy too. So we've done a little research and we have listened to the experts and what we have found out about building a happy life just might surprise you. So we're going to get to all of that in just a minute. But first, let's go ahead, Kelly, and start this show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. What do you have for us this week? Oh, Megan, I've got such a good awesome this week. It might actually end up being one of my awesomes of the year. Oh, wow. It's going to be one of those things that is going to stick with me for a long time. And there's quite a bit of buzz around this right now. So by the way, hi, awesomes. I've missed being in your earbuds. It's been a little bit of a break for me too. Um, It is a website and a podcast now called Blue Babies Pink. Aha, I have heard the buzz about this. Yeah, I can't wait okay. to hear what your, your thoughts are on it. So I fell into the rabbit hole this week and started reading it. I have not listened to the podcast, but if that's more of your thing, it is a Southern coming out story okay. in 44 episodes. Oh, wow. So you could go to the website, bluebabiespink.com and read it. That's what I did. Or if you would rather just listen to it, he has now recorded all 44 episodes as you know little short podcast blurbs. He's just reading what he wrote. So you could hear it. And Brett Trapp, the author of this, his own voice, if you'd like. Back when he was releasing it, apparently last fall, he was releasing it kind of in episodes. And so it got this nickname of like the Netflix of blogs. He's such a good writer. And he's so personable that you really want to just follow his story. So when he was releasing it as episodes, you know, you would read one and say, I want more, I want more. So now you don't have to do I want more, I want more, you can binge the whole thing. Okay. However you want, go to the website, listen to it in your earbuds. But it is a story, like he says, a Southern coming out story. He is gay and an evangelical Christian, grew up in the heart of the South, outside of Birmingham, still lives in Atlanta, um, grew up and still has a vibrant Christian faith. And so this is his story of growing up. And this is what I loved about it, I think, is not only how much I just kind of love him and the way he writes, and his willingness to be honest, but also that his story doesn't contain that big dramatic moment. Ah, okay. You know, where you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to to drop. I mean, there are things that happen, as there are in all lives, that are sad. But for the most part, 
he's loved. He has wonderful friends and a wonderful family. So this is like the best possible scenario, mm-hmm. if you will, of somebody who's struggling with their sexuality and what it means. And how do I love God? And how do I do this in my culture? And how do I start to maybe admit to myself that this is real? It's just a compelling and that really doesn't do it justice. A compelling story to walk through this man's life from his childhood. And he has such great pictures of his growing up years and his family. And he has, you know, videos because some of this happens like all in the last 15 years, the the bulk of it. So he has videos of him being with friends. And it's just like a scrapbook of somebody going through something that is so real and so human. And so I really did just fall down the rabbit hole. I would read two or three chapters. And of course, then something would happen in my house. You know, someone (laughs) would need to eat again, or I would need to go run to an appointment. And so I would just think about it, think about it, think about it. In fact, I tweeted him and said, you know, I, I feel like right now I'm doing that whole happy like laugh into the cry. If you've seen the gif of Kristen Bell, where she's like, I think it's Kristen Bell. Maybe it's not her. Anyway, she's like, (laughs) yes, yes. Like, that's what I was doing in every story because he's just funny, but it's just heartbreaking too to see someone grapple Mm. with something that is so basic. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, you're gonna have to pay for my Kleenex bills here (laughs) because it's just something that I marinated in. So I highly, highly, highly recommend this. Really, you don't have to be Christian. It just is going to fall. It's going to hit everybody, I think, the same way because he's just so honest. This is a human story. So I highly recommend reading it. If you want to listen to it, I know some friends who are listening to it and then they're getting near the end and they're doing that whole, I don't want to listen to the last yes, thing because I, understand I just want to stretch that. it out. Yes, yes. So bluebabiespink.com. The author's name is Brett Trapp. You could look for it in your podcast app or read it online. Okay. Well, I have heard so many friends buzzing about this. I have not even had a little bit of time to check it out. So I can't wait to dive in. Thank you for that. Well, mine is very listening oriented as well, even though I know yours is you can read or listen. Mine is very earbuds oriented. Um, While I was sick, while I was on my sick break, my my iPhone, Kelly, decided it was going to stop being a phone, essentially. Uh, it, all of my apps were working and my Wi-Fi worked, but I couldn't make calls or get any calls. And so I was like, this is funny. <laughs> funny, funny, but yet awesome. <laughs> right. Yes. So I ended up, I actually have a brand new iPhone. I have an iPhone 7. Never <gasps> since... Since cell phone technology hit the market, I have never had the latest of anything, the newest model of anything. So I do have that now. That's been pretty awesome. So that didn't slow down my listening at all, though, because I was still, you know, bring. I still have to have my podcast to get through the day. So when I actually have two, I'm going to do both of these pretty quickly. One of them is something that's got a lot of buzz going around it too right now. And that is the Missing Richard Simmons podcast. Yes. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because I feel like this podcast is everywhere right now. Like if you wanted to find out more about it, you can turn to any media outlet at all. Everybody is talking about this because it is an incredible podcast. It's created by Dan Taberski. And um, it's basically, if you if you have not heard of it, um, it is his exploration into what is going on with Richard Simmons, somebody who lived a prolifically public life for decades, who now um, appears to be just completely um, has isolated himself 
And Dan Taberski is on a mission to find out what's going on. The reason uh, it has been awesome for the past few weeks for me, since it came out, I started listening from the beginning. It is incredibly, amazingly well produced as audio. In fact, Kelly, I find I sometimes have to listen to each episode twice because I will get so distracted just listening and thinking about how they produced it, the production values and all of those things that go into making audio that I lose track of the story. And then I have to go back and like, okay, I lost the thread somewhere. So that's fantastic. Um, Crime Writers On, a podcast we've mentioned a few times here on Sort of Awesome, they did a a whole hour-long episode just discussing their thoughts on Missing Richard Simmons. That's a a fun one to check out if you um, have listened and you're all caught up on on Missing Richard Simmons and you want to hear more discussion about it. That's that's a great episode that they did. So there's that. But a fun thing for listening that is uh, up and coming, not everybody is is buzzing about, is a new singer-songwriter that I found over the weekend via Spotify will put out playlists um, that they update all the time, like with, you know, what's on the charts. And one of their playlists is just basically new releases. And so I love that new release playlist because it helps me kind of stay in tune with, you know, what what is coming out right now. So I found this girl, her name's Nicole Savanya, and she has a new release called Anaheim, which is gorgeous, especially if you like that sort of acoustic-y singer-songwriter vibe for your music. Would I give anything to stop time and drive around Anaheim at sundown I teach my mind to put you first Here you are, a hero You wanna be my new home But baby, let up, I won't She's fantastic. I love the song Anaheim. It's this gorgeous song about wanting to fall in love again, but still being hung up on someone else. It's so pretty. I've been listening to it on repeat. Well, after I found her on Spotify, I kind of went down the YouTube rabbit hole of discovering all of these other things that she's recorded. She's one of those. There's a huge segment on YouTube that are people that do these acoustic covers of popular songs of like top 40 songs and those types of things. And she's one of those. She has a ton of covers that she's recorded. I especially love the one that's her cover of the Kygo and Selena Gomez song, It Ain't Me. Her cover of it is gorgeous. So anyway, she's just so fun. She's probably 18, maybe 19. She's really young and she's been recording songs for a couple of years. So you can kind of go back in her YouTube archives and see when she was like 16. And um, she has this beautiful voice, obviously so talented as a songwriter as well. So Nicole Zafania, I will put a link to all of her stuff in the show notes, but her song Anaheim is on Spotify. It's in iTunes as well. It's so gorgeous. If you're in um, that sort of like mellow acoustic mood right now, it's perfect for that. So. so good for healing. Definitely. <laughs> that, like the mellow mood that you want to be when you're trying to get better. Trying so hard to get better. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, all right. That was a lot of awesome to get us started off today. Um, Kelly, you and I have been t- kind of talking about doing an episode about what it takes to build a happy life. We've been talking about this for a while. Because again, I do think we all, all of us, based on our circumstances or whatever, every now and again, kind of look at people around us and think, how is that person so happy? I don't get it. And sometimes that idea of living a happy life feels a little elusive. It does kind of 
feel like something you have to be born into. And it's not, it's something that maybe is out of our control. But Kelly, I know you, especially you have really dug into the research on this. And I think that what you have found is really illuminating and really inspiring. As it turns out, it seems like happiness is a little bit more in our grasp than we might think. That's very true. And I think that the inspiring word is so key here because I did go into a lot of research on this. That's just the journalist in me. I love to research things. But I think what sent me down the road in the first place was listening to an old TED Radio Hour on happiness and how this works. So there's all these different ways to approach it. And it was so interesting to me, the science that has gone into this. So we're not just talking about positivity and, you know, things that we want to say, oh, this is a really, you know, funny cat video sort of a thing. This is real science, really what's happening in your brain. Your neurochemistry is such a budding field and it is so fascinating. So first, let's do this. Let's just define what we're going to talk about today. What is happiness? Yes. Okay. So scientists would say it's really a combination of two things, which you might be suspecting already. How satisfied you are with your life Plus how good you feel on like a day-to-day basis. Okay, that makes okay. sense. Yeah. So it's both things. So we aren't ignoring the day-to-day, um, but we are also saying that the day-to-day only plays a small role in the overall happiness of your life. So when I got into this, what I looked up was a gentleman named Martin Seligman. He's kind of attributed to be the father of positive psychology today. And he's written several books on optimism and happiness. And what he found is about 60% of happiness is really determined by our genetics and our environment. You know, what's going on in our life right now. But the remaining 40% is up to us. Aha. Uh-huh. So we do have some control. This is not completely out of our hands. So when he studied it, he looked at three different kinds of happiness, the way he defined them, which was like, are you having a pleasant life? Are you filling your life with, you know, pleasures and things that are um, happiness to you? Are you living a life of engagement where you're finding satisfaction, like in your work, your parenting, your love life, your leisure life, all those things? Or are you having a meaningful life where you're knowing your strengths and you're using them to, you know, serve humanity, something bigger than yourself. So those were kind of his three classifications, if you will. What he maybe went in thinking, which a lot of people I think, especially in the West would think, is that pleasures, the pleasant life, contributes a lot to happiness. And in fact, what he found was the opposite. Really? Is that, yes, pleasure is more like the cherry that tops the Sunday of meaning and engagement. Those other two things, living a life of engagement that, you know, you're satisfied with the things that are deeply going on within you, through you and around you. Those are the things that truly bring happiness to us. Having pleasures, you know, having a good coffee or going on that good vacation or finally um, getting that thing that you've wanted for a few years, an iPhone 7. (laughs) (laughs) Those things are really just the bonus. It's not truly what creates happiness. It maybe enables us to celebrate those moments a little bit more, but they don't bring us happiness as much as engagement and meaning. Okay. So when I was thinking all that, I thought, man, that's similar to this idea that has so stuck in my brain and we've talked about on the podcast before, which is the difference between self-comfort and self-care. Yes. You know, so self-comfort, and if I wanted to take, you know, my own theory and apply it to what Martin Seligman has said, would be more like that pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a momentary thing. There's certainly time and place for it, but self-care is more about meaning and engagement and what you're really doing to nourish 
your life to nourish your happiness. That's true. As we're going to talk about here. And it seems like, again, like with the self-comfort, it's kind of um, a temporary thing. Like it's 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 like a, right. a moment in time kind of thing. Whereas with um, self-care, it's maybe something that you do over time. Um, and so it sounds like with, with happiness, it's kind of the same way that, yeah, we have these little um, fleeting moments of, of little happy things that come into our lives, but that really truly lasting happiness, something that, you know, like the foundations of happiness is are things that you build over time. Exactly. And because you're building it over time, what we wanted to talk about with you awesomes is some habits that you can build into your life for that 40% of your happiness that you get to just choose what to do. We want to say this is a muscle that you can exercise. And so what are some things that you can do to build this muscle and be more happy in a truly deep and sustaining way? Exactly, exactly. So that is what we're going to talk about today. In fact, Kelly and I have talked about this idea and we've come up with eight habits that each of us can bring into our lives, regardless of the age or stage of life that you're in, no matter what you have going on externally, that you as a as a person can build up these habits in your own life. And they're going to f- provide that foundation for lasting happiness over time. So we have eight of them. The first one that I wanted to talk about is, and we, we have little um, sort of identifiers or little catchphrases that we've come up for each of these. And so the first one is going to take us back to the late 90s in that mm-hmm. classic Chumbawamba song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Ain't ever going to keep the dead, <laughs> I get knocked down. In case any of you needed earworms for today, yes, there you go. It is a, such an earworm song. It totally is. But it really speaks to one of the biggest habits that each of us can be working on. And that is the idea of resilience, that even when bad circumstances are happening around us, or maybe we um, had a big failure come into our life that we reach down deep into inside ourselves and we find that resilience that we need to get back up again. There is um, a fairly well-known Japanese proverb that says, fall seven times, stand up eight. So no matter, you know, no matter what failures you come up against, no matter what disappointments you come up against, this idea that you are able to connect to an inner sense of resilience and get back up again, and give it another try, whatever it is. This is something that I think is so important for our own personal happiness. And Kelly, and I'm sure you agree with me on this too, that we need to be modeling for our kids, this idea that disappointments are going to come. That is a fact of life. And how can we dig deep and find the internal strength to get back up again? Um, On a practical level, I think that there's a couple of things, like sort of mini habits that we can put into our lives to support this bigger habit of resilience. Number one could be just like meditation or prayer, Um, just taking time in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of defeat or failure, whatever kind of negative thing you've bumped up against, just to take the time and let yourself really just be in the moment of it and really feel the feelings of it. Think through like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? How can I self-correct? Or was it something that was completely out of my hands? So meditation, just being really mindful with it. And two, I think that most 
spirituality systems. Most religious faiths have some kind of thread of belief that ties back into this idea of resilience. You know, as a Christian myself, I think about um, when Jesus was on this earth and he was teaching, like, he said things that hard times are going to come, persecution is going to come, or disappointment is going to come, difficult times will come into our lives. And that a big part of practicing a spiritual faith is to draw strength from that faith to, you know, turn to the scripture of that faith or to the wise teachings from that faith that will kind of remind us, I think one of the biggest, the hardest things about failure and disappointment is it can be so isolating and you can start to feel like, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only person that these bad things happen to. I'm the only one that's had to face this. And when we connect into some of the bigger themes within our spirituality, it's such a great reminder. I love to go back and read the stories of the saints and the early church founders, the fathers and mothers of the Christian faith, because, oh my gosh, Kelly, talk about talk about having to have resilience. It's like epic, the things that people have gone through, you know, through the centuries. And they've been able to tap into that, to find that sense of resilience, to keep going, to stand up again after defeat, after failure. So yeah, that idea that you get knocked down, but you get back up again is a great habit to put into your life to see happiness over time. Right. In fact, I was thinking about resiliency this week. I love the concept of resiliency. If anybody wants to go study it, you know, Googling it, all the studies that they're doing, I was thinking, you know, not every resilient person is happy. But every happy person is resilient. Like every truly happy person, they understand how to get back up and how to survive those times, how not to be the victim of something because we all have things come at us. Yes. So, yes. Yes. So the second happiness habit that we have for you is a saying that is very common in my life. My kids have heard it a lot. It is attitude is everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So this has a story with it. When I was in college, I had a bumper sticker that did not go on my car, but it was in my room and I would carry it around with me from dorm to home to when I was a summer camp counselor. And that was probably where it got its most use. And it said, attitude is everything. It came from, I think, the Columbia River Gorge. Like I went there on a trip and they had windsurfers. It was kind of that surfing attitude. Yes. But I took it to summer camp because I was just at that point in my life when I was starting to understand the importance of your attitude when you're coming up against things. So I put it up in my cabin and I would say to my girls as they came week after week, you know, we can have a great week, you know, things can go right, we can have great weather, or we can have a stupid week, you know, where it's wet and it's muddy and there's bugs and, you know, but our attitude is going to determine what kind of week we have. So this goes back to that thing of choose, right? Yes. You get to choose with your 40% where you're going to focus. Mm -hmm. And your attitude can determine so much. And studies have really played this out. You know, if you can cultivate optimism, then you're going to be more happy because you're going to be able to see the bright side. You know, it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. In fact, Martin Seligman, he wrote a book called Learned Optimism. And I'm just going to read this little paragraph from it because I thought it was so good. He said, the defining characteristic of pessimists is that they tend to believe bad events will last a long time, will undermine everything they do, and are their own fault. The optimists, 
who are confronted with the same hard knocks of this world think about misfortune in the opposite way. They tend to believe defeat is just a temporary setback, that its causes are confined to this one case. The optimists believe defeat is not their fault. Circumstances, bad luck, or other people brought it about. Such people tend to be unfazed by defeat. Confronted by a bad situation, they perceive it as a challenge. And they try harder. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's So here's something that you can do. You can choose where you're going to focus. In fact, I'll tell my kids that every day. Um, you know, we all almost every day have good and bad, dark and light. Where are you going to focus? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not that we're ignoring. It's not like we're trying to you know, pretend that the darkness or the bad things didn't happen. Oftentimes we need to acknowledge them and work through them. But as far as the overall tenor of your day, you can choose to have your attitude be one of optimism and joy and look at that. And I would even say that you can surround yourself with other happy people to make this habit stick. Yes right? Mm -hmm. Joy is contagious. I mean, like literally it is contagious. When you are around a joyful person, we tend to be more joyful. And I would say, likewise, the opposite is true. (laughs) I will sometimes say to my children, one child is being very grumpy. Everybody else is fine. And I will say to the grumpy child, look, you are going to spread your grumpy just like someone who is sneezing with a bad cold. Confine it. Like go somewhere else until you wear off or keep it in like someone who would sneeze in their arm. Yes. I don't want you spewing grumpiness because within two hours, we're all going to be grumpy. Yes. So don't spread it. So the same, though, is true with joy. Somebody who comes in with joy and has that optimism. So if you can surround yourself with people, obviously, that's not practical for every day, for every person in your life. You, I mean, it would be too easy to say, well. You're a grumpy person. I am sorry. You are done. Right. Next door neighbor or in-law or, right. you know, you can't do that. But you can choose where you focus your time and your energy. That's right. Um, you can choose how much other people's negative energy saps your own. That's so true. When you were talking just now, it reminded me of something I saw on Pinterest years ago. Now, we all can, you know, we all have our, our feelings about Pinterest, whatever. This is a case where something I saw on Pinterest actually changed my life a little bit. Really? I, yeah, I know, right? I saw one of those, um, just like a graphic that somebody had made that said, um, you are responsible for the energy you bring to this space. And that was so profound to me. Like, I think sometimes like you said, when, you, when you've got a lot of kids or maybe you're in a work environment where uh, everybody's got different energies going on, that we can sometimes feel a little helpless, like, oh my gosh, my boss is such a jerk. He always is griping and blah, blah, blah. And we start to feel helpless, like we have to be, you know, like our energy has to be directed by somebody else's energy. And I loved that. I thought that is so true. Each of us are responsible for the energy we bring to a space. And I, t- I tell my kids that all the time, same thing. If you've got some bad energy stuff going on, I'm going to need you to go somewhere else and kind of get it worked out, especially now that they're older and they can do that. The twins, not so much, but my big girls definitely can. Um, But it's a good reminder for me, too, that I bring a certain energy to our home and to the rhythms of our life. And I am the only one who's responsible for that. So Right. And not only responsible, but like it's a power thing, I think. You get to bring your own energy. No one else can really change your energy. Now, they can work really hard at it, and it can be hard for you to maintain your energy however you want it to be, but they do not get to control you. Right. You get to control you. Yes. And I love that. That's like an empowering, like, yeah, baby, okay, 
nobody puts me in a quarter sort of a feeling like I'm going to bring the good energy to this and you can try what you will. You can't change it. That's so good. So true. Okay. Well, the third happiness habit is inspired by that old Al Green song, Let's Stay Together. And it's such a great reminder, I think, that we need to stay connected. And this really ties it back into, Kelly, what you were saying, staying connected, especially to the people that we know are going to bring um, joy, they're going to bring depth, they're going to bring um, all of those good things that we want to cultivate into our lives. We have to be super intentional about staying together with those people. And I'm going to tell a story on myself that shows the exact opposite of this being practiced (laughs) in my life. So years and years ago, probably a decade ago, I met through blogging a wonderful woman, a Canadian woman named Jen. Jen's an awesome. She's listening right now. So hi, Jen. She doesn't know I'm telling this story on us. So Jen and her husband are in the Canadian Air Force. And for years, we would she would say, you know, it's there's this possibility we could move to Oklahoma City and be stationed there. And a couple of times it looked like it was going to happen. It kept falling through. Well, finally, a few years ago, they did get stationed here in Oklahoma City. And this was somebody that our kids are close in age. We had watched um, and really been involved in the lives of each other through blogging as our kids were growing up. And I was so excited that she was here. And, and so she got here and we'd gotten together a few times. And then you know how time just keeps marching Mm -hmm. on and we are all busy and she's got kids and we do and family life is busy. So we finally made plans a couple of weeks ago to get together and have lunch. And we met up for lunch and she hugged me and she was like, can you believe it has been a year since the last time we got together for coffee? And I just wanted to burst into tears. I was so completely uh, surprised that it a whole year had gone by. And here for all of these years, we were thinking how wonderful it would be if we could mm-hmm. just live close together and we would get to see each other and it's happening. But even still, you have to be so intentional to stay connected to people. So that's such a great reminder for me, how important it is to make it intentional to stay together, to stay connected to the people that we want to have those strong connections with in our lives, whether, you know, I mean, even, even when you're talking about marriage, that there has to be that intentional element, that way of creating patterns and rhythms and habits in life to stay connected, whether, you know, it's your partner, whether it's your sibling or um, friend, whatever. And then to take that a step further to make sure that you're making time to really go deep in conversation with those people. So Jen and I finally got to get together after a year, even though we talk on Voxer occasionally, and we spent two hours at lunch. And of course, we didn't sit down with our sandwiches and chips and are like, okay, let's, let's get right to the heavy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't get right to the, to the deep and heavy stuff right away. We of course, small talked for a little bit, but we both made space in time in our schedule for that, small talk to go into the deeper conversation. And I think that is such an important part of building up a happy life is making sure that you have time for just, you know, something beyond a, hey, how's it going? How are the kids? How's everybody doing? Kind of conversation to really create that space to sit down and connect on a deeper level. Again, with the people that we really want to cultivate those long lasting friendships with. You know what that's hitting me right now is I'm thinking about the people that live in my own house, that those are the people that I love the most, but those are often the people that I have the hardest time 
going deep with only because we're dealing with the day-to-day stuff, right? So this is a convicting reminder to say, it's not just about the schedules and did you get your homework done? You know, trying to find time, especially for those deepest relationships, to really sit down and say, what is going on in your life? And what are you thinking about? And how is this situation going? And how are you feeling about that? Because that's truly what brings meaning. Yes. And that's what brings happiness, right? That's why we're saying this is a happiness habit, is those depth of relationships. Absolutely. All right. What's our next habit, Kelly? Okay. Our next habit, I'm calling this, look for an excuse to throw a party. All right. I love it. Yeah. This comes from another story in my life. And I was thinking back to college again. I worked as a food server, as a waitress through most of high school and college. And I actually really enjoyed it. Because I like food and also because I'm an extrovert. And so the chance to interact with all these different customers, that always was really fun for me. But hands down, my very favorite place to work as a food server was TGI Fridays, uh-huh. which yes. is, you know, kind of on the back end of, you know, the cycle. I think at this point, there's not as many of them and that sort of thing. But I worked there at the height people. I mean, I have a I have a box of flair somewhere in my basement. Like I had the suspenders and all of the buttons. We had to wear different hats. I had colored tights. It was totally obnoxious and wonderful. And I happened to work at a Friday's here in the Twin Cities that at the time was one of the top 10 in the country. And so I don't know which came first, chicken or the egg, but we had a fantastic management staff. Like it set the bar so high that I'm not really sure I've ever had a job where I felt so valued as an employee and so treated well. And that's really where this comes from. They, when I was hired, said to all of us, we want you to look for an excuse to treat our customers to a surprise. Uh We want you to say, if they're all coming in and they're all wearing uniforms, did you win the game? Did they look sad? Did you not? What can we get you? Free appetizer? Is it a couple on a date? That that was their mindset. We want to give away things. We want to spread joy because it's not just about us making money and trying to upsell every little, little thing. We want to be a place where people want to come because we are going to look for an excuse to throw a party. And they didn't just do it with customers. They really had this philosophy that if they took care of us, front of the house and back of the house staff, we would take care of the customers that they as managers would not have to worry about our customers. So I could tell you so many stories. I can think of one day that I came in, I was working in an opening shift and, you know, we all get there and we walked into a completely set up restaurant about an hour and a half before we opened. The entire management team was there, whether it was their day working or not. They had set up the whole restaurant. They had made food for us. Oh, wow. They had... Trivial Pursuit set up on a big table, and they said, welcome, we just want you to come and have an awesome start to your day. Come have free lunch, play a game, and then when we'll open the doors, you'll be ready to go. Oh, wow. That's so fun. Right? So that was what they wanted to do. They really wanted to cultivate that. Let's just celebrate the small victories. Let's celebrate that we're all in this together. Let's look for things that make us happy and really dive into them. So I have just taken that. It was such a great place to work and carried it through my life and said, what are the small victories today? Did the baby take a nap? Now, it might be the only time this whole week, Did they nap today? Yeah. That is a small victory. Did the barista get your name right? (laughs) I have so many friends who have different names. Every once in a while, the barista will actually get it right. Then let's celebrate that. What did you get to work without hitting a single red light? All the things that happen in our day-to-day lives, and they're so 
many. Mm-hmm. These are the details of life, right? But if you just open your eyes and pay attention to them, you will see that there is so much that's going on around you that really is just an excuse waiting for you to celebrate it. Love and that. I would say that the second thing that goes with that is as we open our eyes is we're practicing gratitude, mm. right? So this is like the, if you want to call it the deeper sub-level of just celebrating the small victories and throwing a party is that hopefully as we notice all these things, we will cultivate gratitude within us. And this is something, again, that science has shown what spiritual traditions have said for centuries, which is we're seeing our actual brains respond to gratitude. Our brains are rewired when we start to notice and be thankful for the things that we already have in our lives. So gratitude is a huge component of that deeper, meaningful happiness. When you are grateful, it is almost impossible not to have a wellspring of happiness within your life. So that's my habit is to celebrate and look for the excuse to throw a party. Definitely. Definitely. That was spoken like a true Enneagram type seven. (laughs) Always looking for a party. No, I love that. And I love the idea too, that we can, again, model that for people around us, whether it's our children, maybe our coworkers, whatever, that we can be that person who is always looking for a way to celebrate. And I think you are so right. That connects to gratitude on such a deep level. I love that. All right. Well, the fifth happiness habit, as we blaze through this list, the one that I thought of, I, I wanted to kind of, um, get you started thinking about it with this very famous quote from Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, and that's clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And just that idea that you are, you're looking for the moments in life when everything kind of aligns, you're able to get into your zone and really find your flow, whatever that is. And just to get a little bit more specific about what that looks like, Um, Again, you know, I was uh, being silly a little bit referencing that famous Coach Taylor pep talk, but truly that idea that there are just moments where, and and it doesn't even have to be anything prolific or epic, but you just happen to notice that, that you are in the zone that maybe hours have gone by that you've been doing this thing. Maybe you were working really hard. Maybe you were about to go play the second half of a football game. Um, maybe you were, you know, running or working on a project, whatever it was, but you've been working hard. But instead of feeling exhausted from the hard work, you feel completely energized. That idea that you've kind of tapped in to that inner part of yourself that is almost, I don't know, I can get a little mystical about it. It feels a little bit supernatural even that you're just like, oh my gosh, this is what I was meant to do. And this can look like so many things in our lives. Um, doesn't have to, you don't have to have a pep talk from the coach at, at halftime to realize that you have kind of plugged into, I am literally that idea of plugging a cord into electrical socket just something bigger than yourself. I know in my own life, the first moment I can vividly remember this was the very first day when I was a student teacher. I was like 21 years old. I was student teaching at this tiny school and I was teaching seventh graders and I had prepared um, a lesson. I think we were getting ready to start To Kill a Mockingbird. And so I prepared a lesson to get it started. This was, you know, I'd been going to school for years, obviously, to to become a teacher. This was the first time I was going to stand up. I stood up at the podium, had this amazing mentor teacher, the classroom teacher who was in there with me. She'd been kind of getting me, you know, juiced up and ready to go. So I, I give my lesson and I just felt like 
it was one of those crystal clear moments of like, I was meant to do this. And I just was completely in the flow. And so I did the whole lesson. And then as the kids were leaving, my mentor teacher pulled me aside and said, I've had a lot of student teachers in my classroom. I have never had anybody who clearly felt as natural teaching as you did when you were preparing, when you were presenting this lesson. And I was like, I'm so glad that you saw it because I felt like I was, it felt like the most natural thing in the world to me. And I continued to feel like that when I was teaching in the classroom, every time I got up to um, sort of give a lecture, to, to present a lesson, I felt so natural and just like, this is what I was meant to do. And of course, it's been years now since that was a reality in my life. So many years passed. And the next time I really felt like oh my gosh, I really felt in the flow was the very first time I recorded a podcast episode with my friend Tish for her podcast back when it was um, the Art of Simple podcast. I remember finishing that recording and being like, oh my gosh, can I get some more of that in my life, please? I loved sitting down behind a microphone and having a conversation with a, a dear friend of mine and you know, keeping an eye on the fact that it was going to be for other people to listen to, just all of the things. I loved it. And every single time I sit down behind this microphone, I totally feel that flow feeling. So looking for the ways that we um, can achieve that sort of state of consciousness where we know we are doing this thing that we were meant to do. I, I like to think of it as connecting your inner joy to the bigger energies outside of yourself in the outer world. And it can be something simple or it can be something really big in public. But once you find that, then the task is making time in your life to to create those moments where that flow can happen. Right. And it really is that kind of forgetting yourself, right? Yes. You're almost not present in your body. And I think that especially today, that's so important. We need that almost. I we think that it. we're so hyper aware and our brains are so busy. So when we're in that flow state, I feel like we kind of float a little bit. I think that's why I got the, the word flow, right? We're kind of just like out there and we're not so conscious of all these other little distractions and all the little rabbit trails that we could be taking. We're really, really, really in the moment, which, you know, as soon as you say, hey, I'm in the moment, you've lost the moment. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that kind of has to happen. And like you said, I think that there's so many different ways for people to do this, whether it's podcasting or their actual career. I love that teaching for you is the flow moment because that doesn't happen right. to everybody, yeah, right? Yeah. But I mean, it could be gardening, mm. it could be cooking. I mean, how many people do we know that knit or crochet, which is so far beyond me, although I know that you're going to learn to cross stitch someday, but someday, um, someday. <laughs> but it's, it's that sort of a thing, being able to find that mental attitude of entering the flow. I just love that. I've got to think about that more. So I'm going to kind of go to the opposite direction with my next habit. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not as mystical or, or ethereal. It is. I'm calling it shake it and shut it. Okay, good. Okay. Let's hear it. So it's it's really we're dealing here with the physical body. And this is a mantra that I preach often on Sort of Awesome. And it is the benefits of exercise and sleep. Yes. So um, I just came across this quote and it made me laugh. Our school is doing Legally Blonde the musical ah, yeah. this year. So my daughter's in that. And so do you remember this quote from Legally Blonde where she said, exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't just shoot their husbands. <laughs> yes, that's right. So from the wisdom of Legally Blonde people, exercise gives you endorphins and endorphins make you happy. And this is true. 
she says it in her perfect Elle Woods sort of way. But it is a real scientific fact that our brains, when we move our bodies in whichever way you want to choose to move your body, and really, I almost don't like the word exercise for this because right. yeah. for so many of us, we think, oh, this is exercise. Right. You know, we don't give it the broad umbrella that it really deserves. Any way that you choose to move your body, be it skiing or roller skating or going for a walk or yoga or just playing with your kids at the park, it is going to increase the endorphins in your brain. And endorphins are responsible for that positive uplift that we, we're we all kind of hungry for. Yes. Um, it is a healthy way to get those endorphins. So, you know, I mean, this is no surprise to any of you that it's been shown exercise can ease symptoms of depression, anxiety, stress. Um, and I think this is a really big part of it for me. Exercise makes us appreciate our bodies more. Mm, mm-hmm. So, right. So many of these habits do just flow into each other. You know, they kind of circle back around. This is about gratitude and about noticing those small things that actual study in the journal of health psychology found that you don't have to have any like noticeable improvements in your body or losing weight. People reported that just feeling more positive mm-hmm. about the bodies that they're in yes. was enough. For them. And that's really where I am. I I love that feel of connection with this is my body and I am using it and it is moving me and it makes me grateful for all the moments when I'm not exercising at all, but I'm just, you know, driving to pick up my kids or I'm making dinner that I can move. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful for what it allows me to do. So just keying into your body through exercise is another big benefit. And then the second part, so that's the shake it. And the shut it is to get a good night's sleep. And we all know this as well. And I think this is one of those things that probably science is just starting to really get into what's happened in the last 100, 150 years as we've developed artificial light. Mm, Yes. And we don't sleep anymore as much as we used to because we don't have to. We can push ourselves to keep working even after it's dark. And so I think that we're just now starting to recognize the damage that we've done to ourselves as a culture where we say, oh, sleep is very low on the priority list Mm -hmm. because a good night's sleep resets your brain. Mm -hmm. And again, this is like neuroscience, right? It really helps your brain to be able to process day's events, to be able to bounce back. It forms some of that resiliency. If you're wondering how much sleep is a good night's sleep, like if you're a person who's saying, okay, I'm I want concrete. (laughs) You guys are giving me lots of, you know, ethereal stuff. So what I have found is when people say, how much sleep do I need to be happy? The quote unquote experts see me doing like the Lego hand air quote, you know, have said that you need about between eight and nine and a half hours of sleep a night to wake up feeling happy. Now, that's kind of a lot. I think it's a lot for most Americans who struggle to get to seven, right? Yes. So don't be intimidated by that. What they found in their study, if, if they said that's the optimal amount, Another interesting finding was that when people got an extra hour of sleep compared to their normal, they woke up 5% happier. Mm, interesting. So even one extra hour compared to whatever your normal is, is going to increase your happiness. And conversely, losing two hours of sleep had a bigger effect negatively on your mood than gaining two hours of sleep. So like when we're continually cutting our sleep and not giving our bodies that rest and our brains that rest, it has a tremendous effect on our mood. So, so many people, and I know I do this too, you think, why am I so cranky today? And then when you look back at the past week and you realize how little you've slept Mm. or the quality of your sleep has been poor, 
that might be why. And we tend, I don't know, I tend to not think about it a lot of the time. I, I go to other things, you know, I think, well, it's this situation. Mm. <laughs> if, that, if that person hadn't done that, I would be fine. Right. When really we are underestimating how important it is to rest and how our emotional stability really depends on sleep. So if you want to exercise that happiness habit, shake it and shut it. Shake it and shut it. It's so true. And I think too, when you do have kids at home, you do become a lot more aware of how those sleep interruptions even Mm -hmm. uh, make such a significant impact. In fact, uh, we're in that stage where everybody mostly does sleep all the way through the night and gets good sleep until like we get sick. And so I've been up many times at night with coughing kids lately. It does. It just, it wears down over time. Those sleep interruptions do so. Right. In fact, I would say, and this is not going to help people who have a newborn and they're saying, when am I ever going to sleep again? I have a six-year-old and we are sleep training him right now (laughs) because he loves me and he's a total cuddler. So I don't know that I've ever, since he's been out of his crib, he creeps in to snuggle with me at some point in the middle of the night. So for years, this has just happened. Now, when he was smaller, it didn't matter as much. And of course, now I'm at the point where I don't even notice when he gets in bed, but now he's like almost seven. Yes. He's big. He, like his dad, likes to sleep with his arms like flung over his head. So he's always hitting me in the middle of the night. So yeah, I'm starting to say, whoa, dude, this is really starting to not help mom have a good attitude during the day. And I love you very much, but we're not going to be able to snuggle during the sleeping hours. That is so funny. Sleep training a six-year-old. I love it. Okay. Well, this next one, I'm going to go kind of fast on because I really believe that the best teaching that we've had on this show came to us um, from Melissa Toller back when she came and Mm -hmm. talked about self-compassion. So happiness habit number seven is treat yourself and especially treat yourself the way you treat others, which is that important fine art of practicing self-compassion. So we had Melissa Toller come on and she talked about this very specific thing on on an extra awesome episode last year. It's so fantastic, you guys. I highly, highly recommend going back Mm -hmm. and listening. But she really talked about how important our self-talk is, how important the tone is that we use when we're just talking to ourselves about our own selves, and how if we can switch our tone from being highly critical and highly demanding of ourselves, and if we can take some time to switch it to how we would speak to a younger version of ourselves or to, you know, like to how we would speak to our daughters or to another, you know, like a young person in our lives that we would have, we would build into our conversation with them, the grace that they need to hear. We would encourage them to be forgiving of themselves. We would encourage them to be resilient. So we know those things and we practice those things when we're speaking to other people. We, a lot of us, especially I've seen you awesomes do this time and time again in the hangout group somebody comes with a problem or an issue or something they want to change about themselves. And I, you all are so great at just heaping grace upon people. I think we are good at that part. It's a matter of how do we do that for ourselves? How do we treat ourselves in our internal world with the, the self-talk and the pep talks and the, uh, you know, the serious conversations we have with ourselves? How do we bring in those themes of compassion for ourselves and, and forgiving ourselves and giving ourselves grace? So number seven then is treat yourself the way you treat others. So right. 
Okay, the final one, the final happiness habit that we're going to tell you, Austin, that we think are just so essential to practice is to stop waiting. And the funny thing is, is that we're saying stop waiting, but really what I want you to picture in your head is a big go, not a stop sign, because we're saying you don't need to wait for your external circumstances. You can be happy today to make the most of the moment that you're in. And I'm sure many of you can relate to the idea of saying, if this happens, then I will be happy. Yes. If I can just have that job, if I can just stop working so many hours, if this project will just get completed, if the baby will just sleep through the night, if all, if, 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 then I will be happy. But that pushes off our happiness Absolutely. continually. Yeah. And as we all know, especially when you get to a certain age, there's always something. Always, we, yes. We could always be pushing off our happiness. And so we're going to say, just stop waiting for those outside circumstances to somehow fall into magic alignment and embrace today what you already have. Um, I, I thought this was such a good line. I heard somebody say, to stop looking for fixes outside of yourself to be happy and the idea that you have what you already need to be happy today. And that sounds very woo-woo. But- I think that the underlying message goes back to what we were saying before, which is you have control of you. Mm -hmm. You can bring in your own happiness. You can choose today to do all these other things that we talked about, whether it's, you know, focusing on gratitude or to have that resilience, you know, to be able to get back up when life knocks you down, whatever it is. We're saying just to stop waiting for those outside circumstances, embrace what it is today and make the most of that moment. And I think that that is so empowering. I love when I recognized that no one else could truly make me unhappy. Right. That it was really up to me. And I don't have to wait for those external things. I can be happy today. And of course, we all love it when the things do align and things go well. Those are hopefully, though, the extra cherry on the top that we talked about back in the introduction. Those are the things that make it even the more sweet. But hopefully by not waiting, we have a foundation of happiness and knowing how to embrace the joy in every day. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, as we were thinking about this show, we came up with five ways that you can just instantly boost your happiness. Maybe you just need like a booster shot of uh, inspiration to practice happiness. And these, you know, the, the eight habits that we're talking about, again, these are the things that we want to be practicing over time. But sometimes you just need a little something to grab onto that you can do right now. That's not something that builds up over time, but something that you can practice like literally as soon as you're done listening to Sorta Awesome this week that will bring a little booster of happiness into your life. Kelly, would you go through that list really quickly, those five ways that we can instantly boost happiness in our life? Yeah, absolutely. So how about doing this, Awesomes? Spend five minutes doing something to brighten a loved one's day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pick somebody in your inner circle and think, what could I do? That would make them happy. I will tell a quick little story, and this is not to toot my own horn, because it truly, I think, gave me more happiness than it did my daughter. But for Valentine's Day last month, we had a local bakery who does cupcakes, and they said on Facebook a few days before Valentine's, we will deliver for free to wherever you want, to your work, to a home, to a school. And when they said school, this little light in the back of my head went bing. Mm -hmm. And so I had them deliver their six pack of assorted flavors for Valentine's Day to my daughter at school. So she got them at lunch. And 
I was so excited for her to get them. And when she sent me a text in the middle of the day, she said, Mom, I'm almost in tears. Thank you so much. And like everybody was jealous of her. She got them in class right before, you know, they were like, so it was something so simple. Yes. But man, it made me so happy. It brightened her. I think that that's the fun thing about these things. If you can spend five minutes to think about how could I pick somebody that's in my inner circle and surprise them and brighten their day. So that's the first one. You can do that today. Second one, email someone and thank them for something they did for you. Mm -hmm. This is gratitude, right? But you're also knowing that you get to say to someone, hey, you made a difference in my life. Thank you for doing this. And I would even say, you don't even have to make it as formal as an email. There are times that I am driving in the car and some little thought will come into my head of something that somebody said at a meeting that I was at, some even thing they were wearing. Sometimes I'm like, that was just so you. And so I will you know, have Siri type a text for me and send off a two sentence text and say, you know, that was so awesome. Thank you so much. Or I love the way you look today. Or that laugh that you did, that just, I'm still living on that. You can brighten someone else's day. And I really do think, again, it boomerangs back on you, right? It does. Email someone. Mm-hmm. Third one, take 30 seconds to help someone who needs it. This means you have to look around and say, who needs something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it might be somebody in your inner circle, in your home. It might be somebody at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're at the Y, does somebody just even need the door held? I love making eye contact with people who are just out and about in the world. I really, and this is very woo-woo, but it's true, you guys. I'm just so in love with humanity right now, even though there's so much that can be dark and frustrating in our world, to just look at each individual person and say, what kind of day are they having? Is there something I can do, I can say, to make it just 30 seconds brighter? So take 30 seconds to help someone who needs it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fourth thing, you can meditate for 10 minutes. And I like to say if the term meditate scares you, it really in many ways means to sit in a conscious attitude of prayer Yes, without having to think about words and that sort of thing. We've talked about the Headspace app here a lot on the show. And it, if you don't already have it, you could go right now, download it, and there is an introductory session for free that is going to show you the baby steps of learning how to meditate. And his voice is Australian and calming and peaceful, Andy, who does it. So I I highly recommend that if you don't know what meditation is and you're just looking for a way to get started. But just sitting in awareness, letting your monkey brain calm a little bit, being grateful. These are huge things that you can do, especially if you can make them a habit. But just doing it once today, I promise that it will make you more aware yes. of your life and that increases our happiness. Yeah. And the fifth one is just to laugh, yes. right? Yes. Or as my son says, I don't I don't know that this is true everywhere, but he says that the kids now say not LOL, but lol. Yes, lol, of course. Lol. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm like, I think it's LOL. And he's like, no, mom, it's lol. It's, okay. It's definitely lol for the younger it's crowd. It's definitely lol. Yeah. 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 So, so lol. People go out and lol. Um, <laughs> find something that makes you laugh. Um, it could be a podcast. Mm-hmm. I have tons of podcasts that I have just to make me laugh. Yes. It could be a Netflix show. Lord knows it could be YouTube. Mm-hmm. There is so much out there, so much that could make you laugh that you could share the laughter with other people. In fact, I'm sure sometime this week in the Hangout, we'll start a thread that says, hey, let's talk about what makes you laugh. Let's yeah. make a little laugh playlist so that we could do that because laughing also increases our endorphins. It makes us happier. It helps us to shed and process stress. So find a good way 
to make yourself laugh. That's the fifth little instant boost to your happiness that you can do as soon as you turn off these earbuds. That's right. That's right. I personally like to go back to the archives of Babysitter's Club Club because I've listened to all of them. Mm -hmm. I'll just start listening to one of that and I get to giggling every single time, Kelly, that will pull me out of the depths of a bad mood because just once you start giggling, it's hard to take everything around you quite as seriously as you were. So it's so true. Or the podcast. The podcast. I have been listening to the podcast a lot. Yes. Yes. And just there's not a time that I don't end up laughing out loud. Their cold opens every week, every single time. There's never been a cold open of their episodes that haven't gotten me giggling too. So they're fantastic for that. Well, we want to see what this looks like in your life. You know, at the beginning of the year, Kelly and I talked about when we were talking about is tech taking over your life, how we can create spaces in our lives where we don't have any tech intruding on us. And we kind of challenge you to do this. We have a new challenge for you and it has to do with happiness. We would love to see how happiness is showing up in your life. And we even have a hashtag for you. We're going to be using it. We want you to use the hashtag because we're going to feature some of your happiness on our social media channels. So for the next couple of months, we're going to do the happy awesome challenge. Hashtag happy awesome. And we would love to just see those little moments in your life. Maybe it is your little baby smiling and laughing for the first time. Maybe it is getting the best parking space at work. Maybe it is something bigger than that. Maybe you got a promotion or you're getting engaged, you're getting married. Whatever your happy is, hashtag it with happy awesome. We're going to challenge ourselves and we're challenging you to really tune into the things around us that show that we can cultivate these happy lives. We can build up these happy habits and we can be aware of them and share them with each other. So again, that's hashtag happy awesome. And we will put that on all of our social media channels as well to remind you. So Kelly, speaking of social media, remind us where we can find you all around the web. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay, there are lots of places that you can find the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. We're on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. You can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. And if you just want to find me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremend. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.